Dave here. This time around, before diving into the episode, I wanted to say a proper thank you to our current presenting sponsor, Buskin City. Thorsten Anderson reached out to me asking what it would take to become a sponsor as he wanted to use this podcast as a vehicle to promote the service that he and Ulf Anderson put together to help professional street performers book their own tours. This is how Thorsten put it in our very first email exchange. Buskin City is a booking calendar for professional street performers that allows them to book their own tour in different assigned countries and cities. It's a pilot project between 2016 and 2018, so 2017 is the second year. For this year, we've managed to get cities in Belgium, Germany, the Netherlands, and Sweden to sign up and allocate pitches for street performing. Some of the cities in the first three countries cover travel expenses, while all of the Swedish cities do. We're also in discussions with cities in the U.S. and Australia for 2018, and we want to initiate discussions with Canada as well. If this is the first that you've heard of this project, I'd suggest that you check out their website at buskincity.com. That's B-U-S-K-I-N-C-I-T-Y dot com. Check out what they're doing and sign yourself up, as this service really does offer an incredible opportunity for touring street theater artists. And thanks again to Thorsten, Wolf, and the team at Buskin City for their support of the Stories from the Pitch podcast. All right, let's get to it. I was in Amsterdam and I was going through, wasn't in the best, and I was thinking about quitting the street. And actually, and I'm sitting, I'm sitting there, and I got my my nine foot unicycle that breaks down and a backpack. I never used to use microphones, so I used to just get away with this little tiny kit. Yeah, you remember my kit? Oh yeah, absolutely. Turn up. So how does he do that for me? Yeah. And. Uh, so I just watched Tom Comet pull off his 12-foot bloody unicycle, half-naked, fire out the ass. you know, where when I met Tom, he was, you know, yeah. so it was really good to see this guy evolve. Go, go f- evolve, yeah. And I'm thinking, it might be time to throw the hat in, you know, time, time to give it up. And then, you know, everyone's giving Tom his accolades and the rest of it, and then Tom walked over and goes, how you going, Dame? And I was just sitting there in my corner. I went, well, I'm actually thinking of giving it all up. And Tom Comet grabbed me by the shoulders and started shaking me and going, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed. You're the, you're the guy. You're the guy. You, you can't give it up. You're giving us everything. You're giving us so much. And then we all sat down and had our, um, had, I wasn't drinking at times, so, you know, had our coffees and beers and whatever else. And, and this little old lady, Dutch lady, walked over and hung her head into the group and goes, you guys, you give us the best thing ever. I'm like, yeah, what? She goes, you give us laughter. Yeah, the clowns. You give us laughter. You know, and I've never forgotten that. And that's what keeps me going to this day. It's this little old lady telling me that we give her laughter, and that's the best gift, it's the best thing ever on this planet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm David Aiken, the checkerboard guy, your host for this growing collection of interviews. Artist, activist, athlete, punk. All of these words describe Damien Ryan's approach to life. Creative to the core, but also running through that core is a strong sense of defiance that exhibits itself when presented with injustice. It's no wonder that this very strong personality, who eventually became known as Deadly Serious, decided to become a street performer. There's a certain strength of character to this guy that wouldn't have survived over three decades on the street had he not had these traits. But why does a guy who could have become a professional athlete or a full-time musician end up playing on the streets for so many decades? It's not like he didn't have any other options available. 
But here's the thing. Did the creative outlet of theater, and specifically street theater, offer this guy with so many paths that he could have taken the perfect arena to exercise his very specific set of gifts and talents? Eric Amber connected with Damien Deadly Serious Ryan during the 2014 Adelaide Fringe Festival to figure it all out, and to get the lowdown on this guy who's lived a life filled with so many amazing stories from the pitch. It's, uh, what is it today? The 25th day of February? I think it is. 2014. It's funny, actually, because um, I think we were talking about this at the pub the other night, or the, uh, the Fringe Club. It's been 20 years since I met you, mm-hmm. and since I've been coming to Australia. And actually, Adelaide is where we kind of got our start, and I think that's yeah, where yeah. you got your start as well, uh, in the sense that you're from Adelaide, aren't you not? Yeah, I first walked out onto the streets in 1982 with a friend of mine, Richard Cooper, and uh, I played saxophone and guitar, he played guitar, and we did like a, we called ourselves the Dirty Venetians, <laughs> and we played like a, a variety punk sort of songs we wrote ourselves, you know, and he had the mohawk and I had the dreads just starting, so we... How old were you, know, you uh, in 1982? I was 16 years old. And what made you uh, do that? Uh, my mate and I went and got basically beer money. <laughs> right. Like all of us, there's something that, that kickstarts our desire to do something. Yeah. Oh, well, and we also wanted to, to know, you know whether we would, what we're doing would work as well, and which it did because we ended up, my first paid gig was around the same time in a nightclub called The Blue Room. The Blue Room, where was that? On uh, Melbourne Street in North Adelaide. Okay. It was the nightclub of the day. Type thing, so there was you know the human fly walking around as well, right. and we were the two punks getting paid a dollar a minute. A dollar a minute, and we'd do. <laughs> yeah, which is great because you know it's sixty bucks. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, a couple of half-hour sets, and it, so you was what basically you started doing music in school. Um, no, I've been playing music a long time. I don't know. I, I don't know. Just uh, my sister would come home piano lessons, and then I'd start playing what she was just by ear could hear it and then of course it hit me in the back of the head and told me it's not fair right oh and, because uh, you had the talent yeah I just, it just comes to me natural music so okay. I play quite a lot of instruments oh right and um, and that's what actually dragged me into theatre it was the same guys about Richard and I and another friend was with a company called uh, SACWA which means South Australian Creative Workshops which is a theatre company and he needed some musicians and sound effects guys Right. And at the same time, I was also doing radio program, which was to do with music as well. So you had like a really artistic sort of childhood there, it sounds like. Yeah, well, I could have gone into football or athletics. Because also at that same time, I held uh, fourth in high jump at a state level. So I was jumping my own height. Oh, really? Yeah. You're a tall guy. Yeah, I'm 6'3". <laughs> <laughs> so I 100 and So you're doing that when you're 15? 15, 16, yeah. And playing Aussie rules football, so for, for Norwich, which is like a, a... So you could have gone in any direction. Yeah, but the theatre saved me. Theatre and, and then... And I actually went to Europe as a musician. But I didn't know anything about that, any of this stuff, because when I met you in 1994, which was already 12 years after you'd started street performing, uh, that was in Paddington Market in Sydney. And you, at that point, you were... Doing a street show. Yeah, you were a yeah, full-time street performer. Street show. Yeah, yeah. What, what was the, what's, what happens between 1982 and 1994? So in 1983, I left Adelaide, put my guitar on my shoulder, and, and literally hitchhiked 
out of the city to Melbourne and then up to Canberra and then all, hitchhiked all the way to Cairns and up to the Daintree River uh, and, then in, and then across. And at that time I wanted they'd proposed the road go through a, the last piece of virgin rainforest on the coast in the country. So myself and some other punks turned up and, and told the hippies they were stupid you know, if like, cause singing songs ain't going to stop the bulldozers. Right. So we dug foxholes and cement and dug ourselves in, and the cops had to come along and, and dig us out with um, backhoes and stuff. And you got into the protesting. Yeah, yeah, I've been an activist most of my life. Right. So, um, so I'm actually of the that punk generation rather than the hippie generation. Mm. So you end up up in northern Australia, hanging out with the hippies, telling them that what they're doing is yeah. not the way to go. Well, not not really, not telling them. Just saying, just you know, if saying. you want to, if, well, they were telling us off for being militant. Right. Okay. And, and you're saying like, they're yeah. they're too soft. Yeah, too soft. And then after that, I wandered further up the, into the forest and uh, lived with the Wudja Wudja people, which is our custodial landowners. Okay. Uh, Aboriginal. There, yeah, yeah. And I learned to make fire and hunt and all sorts of stuff. Oh so, wow. Um, yeah, I believe in uh, also, also, especially like you know, traveling through India and Asia and shit like that, and learning about um, the sixty-four arts. You should always practice up to sixty-four arts. You know, cooking, cleaning, juggling, sex, uh, whatever you want. You know, it can become an art form. I mean, a good example is in Japan to make tofu, to sell tofu, is a seven-year course. Seven-year course just to yeah, sell to tofu. A, no, to become a master. Oh, of, to master of it. Know? Right. Okay. So, so they take the art seriously. You know, yeah. and for me, life is an art, and it's it's about getting it all. So you, you dabbled you, in a lot of different things, and, and yeah, you, you allowed yeah. yourself to to really experiment with all those things. Yeah, yeah. So in um, 1988 was Australia's bicentennial in, of invasion or of founding discovery, 200 or years of, of of white man type thing, and I was so appalled, and I have part indigenous in me and part Irish in me and I was quite quite appalled by this whole thing and I left the country you know, I was quite ashamed so I actually got up and left Australia I spent a year in Asia so where did you go first uh, Bali okay so yeah because it's close Indonesia yeah, yeah, going straight in and just track made more my way up through to you know, Malaysia Thailand, India. And that whole time, were you performing? Were you were you no, being, I was, playing I, music? I was were playing you... music. Um, and I've gone back a few times to Bali, and every now and then I'll still in, there's a the local Kuda reggae bands called Legend, and they'll get me up to play a set with them. And I go back because to Bali. you you've known those guys for all this time. For all this time. Oh wow. Yeah. And played music all this time too. So I have another life besides. Yeah, I've never seen you play music. Yeah. I yeah, saw you as the street performer. You know, um, I spent a year and a half in jails teaching, not as a prisoner, right. you know, going okay. in and out, teaching music. So. Okay, so when you, you started, you filtered your way through Asia, did you basically go across to Europe or...? From India I went across to Europe, without, so I, did, I missed the Middle East. Okay. And I, I've been as far as Macedonia, and I sat in Macedonia going, I just got to do that next bit, you know, from here, from Turkey to, to India, which is the bit I've missed. And I've never been to the Americas. You've never been to America? I've never been to the Americas. No kidding? No. I haven't been to Canada, but I've been smitten with um, snowboarding since my 30s. Oh, so well. Because I'm a surfer. Okay, I'm a yeah. Surfer. And I still surf, but um, yeah, I hadn't seen snow till I was maybe 32, 33. Okay. 
you know, and, and I was trying to follow a black run skier and, and after two days she told me to get a snowboard and then she couldn't keep up with me. So. All right, okay. So yeah, first day on the snow on a snowboard, I was on black runs. Okay. We're skiing. <laughs> so at what point do you make the turn from uh, being a traveling musician to, okay, now I'm a professional street performer? That was in, in 1989 I returned to Australia after, uh, you know, Asia and Europe. And um, I, I knew what I was going to do. I remember I said it to my partner on, on the plane on the way home, my long-term partner I'd had at the time. I says, I, you know, I, I can't play, you know, your game anymore and chase you all over the place. I know what I'm going to do. And when I get home to Australia, I'm getting myself a unicycle and I'm going to do street shows as opposed to the, the street music. Right. And, um, because you'd seen it, had, have you seen it like, when you were in <laughs> yeah, Europe? Yeah, I saw it in Europe. Okay. I'd seen a bit in Australia before I left. Um, I, remember, I, I remember seeing a French guy in, in Adelaide Mall. Um, and he did like a, he had a little unicycle and did this juggling routine. And then um, did it all in silence. It was amazing. And yeah, I'd seen a bit of that here in Adelaide before I'd left Adelaide every, you know, every festival though then used to be every two years it was a biennial yeah. not, a, not a regular thing and the fringe wasn't really as popular as it is now no not at all it fringe was, was festival fringe. was the, the festival proper was the yeah. big event yeah. and, and, and fringe in those days too to get a fringe pass or to be involved with a fringe all you needed to do was, was turn up and say what can I do you know, and they'd give you a job you know? or they'd say can you paint and they'd give you a brush and a bit of thing and paint that wall you know yeah, and you could paint it however you wanted. You could do, put flowers on it, or right. So it was a really uh, inclusive type event. So when I met you in 1994, that was Paddington Market was January. Uh, I think Forest was there. There was three lads from in the UK uh, that were playing music called Bean. Bean yeah. So uh, by the time you met me, I'd already had two seasons in Europe. Okay, so you you at that point you were just hitting your stride. So I went to Europe, came back as uh, you know left left Europe as a music, came home to to do the circle show. Yeah, so let's talk about and then, that. And then by 92, I was back in Europe with What's, my circle show. What do you think the evolution, like, like the whole circle show thing, like there's a lot of people, even now in Canada, there's like, there's a pitch in, in Vancouver that is, um, it's called Granville Island. Mm -hmm. And um, there's only two or three decent pitches for circle shows. And the rest are you know, more musical, you know, muso spots. And of course, the musos want to perform where the circle shows are, and the circle shows, uh, what we call circle shows, say, no, these yeah. are the only places we well, can perform. I come up against this all the time, and I often sit between the busker walls, between the musicians and the, and the, and the circle shows, you know, and I've got friends on both sides. You know. it's, a, it's a hard one, and I never have done it. How, you know, I, I know how, how it works musically for me, and I could make a street show a musical street show if I wanted to, where, like you've seen Max Savage do, right. or the Bad Piper does, but it's a different, totally different genre than, than the old style street music I did, where I'd pull an audience maybe like a table magic show would, you know, you see a small table magic show, yeah. an audience of, you know, maximum 50 people, and you do 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, collect the money and blow them away, and then you 
play or do whatever you do till they till it happens again. Yeah. Collect the money, then you know, disperse them. We'll do several shows over the course yeah, of the day. Yeah. And I've seen the table ma magicians do it, and I've seen some good musicians as well do the same thing. You know, they'll just slowly gather enough people to, to break out of song and and play with that audience and talk with the audience, which is how I did my music. Yeah. You mentioned Forrest, he was someone that encouraged me. He saw what I was doing musically, and, uh, and we travelled around a little bit together, and he'd do his shows up there, and I'd do my music show down there in the morning, you know, where I'd get a good flow. Yeah. Um, or where people could sit, type thing. So I'd look for a totally different pitch than what I do today for right. a circle show. Yeah. You know? So the worst thing I can do is work up, walk up to the musos who want the circle pitch and say, you're an idiot. Yeah, yeah, because you sympathise, you, know, you empathise with them. Because I know, I know, and it's like, and actually, I let them go and do it. If there's not, if there's not a big cue, I go, yeah, please go. Out. And often they do it, they fail, and tell me how shit it is, and it's like, well, you know, yeah, it's it. that's right. <laughs> no, it's and true. I knew that's what was going to happen because unless you can pull that edge, unless you've got something there um, to to get that to happening, hold them. to hold them, to as as you know, I mean, and you know, even with theatre sports, you manage to do that. You, know, you can do it with the guitar, you can do it with... It's not what you do, it's the way you do it. Yeah. The difference between being a street musician and playing away and la la and having a show is a show has a beginning and a middle and an end. Yeah. Now, and if you can do that musically, work a circle pitch, no worries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why David McSavage was able to, exactly. to do that. Beginning is middle is end. I mean, he would offend an audience as well as entertain them, and he had that magical yeah. ability to make them well, love him after he's offended them. It depends. In a Canadian perspective, I could imagine that we're from a from an Australian and an Irish and sort of Northern or Scottish point of view. We just think he's piss funny. Yeah, that's right. That's you know, true. That's the, the way humour. You know, some. I'll tell my audience. You know, it's like I'm sorry. It's, I don't give offence if, if you take offence. I agree. And taking is selfish. I think that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not out there to offend people because I want you to pay me. Right. That's not, the, that's not what we're attempting here. Yeah. But, you know, you're absolutely right. In the North Americans are very politically correct, mm -hmm. easily upset. Yeah. Uh, I, see, I wonder how I'd work there because I tried to make the rudest possible character there was so no one would steal my character. Right. Yeah. Oh, so let's talk about that. Like, when you started, first started doing it in 1989, um, what, did you, what, would you, what did you start with? Okay, so I've got this theatre music background and I, and I, you know, I come home to Australia in the late 80s, early 90s and... Um, I tried to, you know, my first mistake was trying to put theatre on the street, and yourself being a lesbian would know, you just, yeah, you yeah. just can't, you just, it's not the you, same. you just can't substitute it and go like, bang, bang, it just doesn't work, yeah. you know, so you've got to tweak it different ways. Because we're entertaining the everyman, we're entertaining exactly. the, they paid the common man, yeah. not yeah. to put them down, but the common man on the street. And, and so and I looked at Australia with, you know, theatre, it's almost like a dirty word, you know, art in Australia and where sport is religion. And um, so I looked at circus and thought, well, that's the perfect in-between. You know, everyone loves circus, and Australians in particular can relate to circus as a form of art. Yeah. Because it's so sporty. Yeah, and sure, and sure. So I, you know, so I chose circus to be, my, um, to be my art or craft, I could say. You know, my art is still entertainment, but sure. circus is more that craft that I use. 
um, and I can't juggle to save my life. So, you, and I still can't. You know, twenty odd years. You know, for right. years later, I still can't. But right, I go right. out, I entertain the people. You know, I get on my unicycle, or I'll you know get the guys out to hold the rope and do the slack rope thing, and and then um, there's a this is funny. There's a lot I don't do out on the street that I would like I would like to, but I realised pretty quick in the game that um, that that's not what the audience wants. No, no. I mean, I've got juggling juggling ball routines and fire juggling routine and fire not life I've got all these routines all this other stuff and I don't use any of it on the street because it's they don't want it no from my experience no right I've tried it all and in the end I've just I've, I'm doing I'm doing less now than I've ever done it seems to be more. Yeah, no, that's. I think that's the thing that happens to most performers. That they realize they can take more time. They can go yeah. slow. They but have I more power that, in that. I sound. couldn't do that in the early days. No, we're scared, aren't we? We don't well, know. Well, not just that. They didn't have the confidence or the experience. Right. You know, or, or, or that understanding of the the audience, the rapport. Yeah. You know, so you survive on this trick and this trick and this trick and this trick and win, win them over and, and each one gets bigger and bigger until you do your, you know, I mean, it makes perfect sense and it's a common formula where um, I never thought I'd end up going, that's it, one trick, there you go. Right. You know, I used to yeah. watch that in the past going, oh, you guys, you know, where now I'm doing it myself because it's what they want. Yeah. And especially, I mean, I've got the, oh no, I've got that big unicycle. Know, and that's what they expect. Yeah, well, yeah, they see it. So, well, when I do my rope show, they don't know what to expect. So I take them on a different journey. Mm-hmm. They don't know what the finale is going to be. So it's a different journey. Okay. Uh, it's a different show. Also, you have several shows. Yeah, I got I got about three or four different shows, depending on what I want to put together or mix match or take away. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, so my first show was was um, you stand it too high. You know, a guy standing on top of two guys' shoulders and juggling. Yeah. And then uh, Lee Hayes, you may know Lee Hayes. I do know Lee Hayes. He sold me my first six-foot unicycle in 1991. Okay. And that was it. <laughs> and that was it. And then you were off. That was it, yeah. And you never looked back. Then I was, that was it. I became a unicyclist. And you've made your living doing street performing all these years. Pretty much all these years, yeah. It's amazing, though. You know, the street performers are looked so down on in a lot of ways. Councils and, and uh, you know, communities. And they're like, all oh, buskers, you know. But here we are. We're artists. Yep. We've paid our way. We're not on the dole. We're not homeless. Mm-hmm. We're trying to, you know, uh, find... We're, we're uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, absolutely. Know, absolutely. In a way. But we always fight this, um, that stigma. Well, I, can, uh, this is, I think the only thing that, that helps me deal with the stigma and, and the, the crap that people give me for being a low-life scum beggar busker thing <laughs> is the fact that I'm one of the 15% of Australian artists that makes their living from their art. That I don't wait tables or serve in a bar. Yeah. that I don't have another job, even though I can have and do have and have had other jobs at the same time. Mm-hmm. For example, I have um, at the age of 40, I put myself through university. You went to university at 40? I went to university at 40, and I've become... Uh, I hold a Bachelor of Education in Adult Education, uh, majoring in uh, numeracy and numeracy. What made you want to do that? Well, 
cut a long story short, um, I went through a real bad patch of alcohol and so I put myself in a rehab. And from that rehab I ended up in uni. And around right. that period is when I met my, who is now my wife. Oh, you got married? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she had two daughters when I met her. And uh, so we all moved in and then we had, have a son as well. He's played the, um, at the age of three, I think, oh, we call him the youngest street performer, could be the youngest street performer in the world, performing in the world, because at the age of three he played the um, street performance world championships. Oh, oh yeah. In Dublin and Cork. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> good on. Yeah. How did he do? Oh, it's fantastic. That's <laughs> fantastic. Does he play music or does he perform, do a trick? No, he does his tricks and he's got some jokes. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about the European, like how is it, uh, what's it like for a, an Australian performing in Europe for a continent that has so many different languages? Um, well, I do it all in English. Okay. And um, whichever country I'm in, I make sure I learn the swear words first. Yeah, so of course. So when I do mess up in English, I can swear in whatever language the country is that uh, I'm in. Right. Which is always funny, you see. And being Australian, I'm sort of expected to be a little bit rude. Right, a little bit cheeky. Yeah, yeah. cheeky, rude, naughty. Well, I, I put it like this, and uh, I actually said to Robert Nelson, you know, Robert, I could probably be as loud and obnoxious and as rude as you are if I had an American accent. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, he, he did get away. And shook my hand. And He's very good at to getting away with it. He was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we became. I remember when I met, you know, Dom. You Dom, know? very, yes. Well, Dom was with us when we all met, when I met Robert. And, Do, and Robert just you know, hit Dom on the shoulder, going, Why didn't you introduce us before? Because you know? so, it's that same caustic humour. Yeah. The yeah. same macabre. Yeah. You know? I work with absurdism. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Paint the masterpiece and then put the moustache on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, do it and then destroy it. Where does that come from? Why is Australia known for that? I don't know. We're a bit, it's a bit raw. Yeah, there's something that is cheap. I mean, is it that Irish sort of background? I think it might be the Irish background. Irish and also the Cockney background. You know, you, you know how we shorten words and change words to... I mean, the dead horse is the sauce, and the, the frog and toad is the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that Cockney rhyming slang. Yet at the same time, there is that uh, the Irish um, fair go and um, you know look after the old. Don't kick a dog when it's down. Right, it's a very Aussie thing. You know? It's like the guys are already out. Why go anymore? Yeah, you know, fair and enough. an underdog thing. Aussies love it when you fail and then you pick it all back up again and, and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they do. I'll drop a fire torch up there on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> what? what I mean, yeah. What? Yes. There you go. There's you mean you mean you on the secret? <laughs> purposely drop just so they go. Oh, yeah, you heard it here, her first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> give it to me. I'll do it again. You know, because I am human. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. Tr I think you're right. Absolutely right about that. You know. Um. Uh, when I'm at the street as opposed to stage, it's a totally different game, you know, mm -hmm. I, I purposely be a bit more human, a little bit ragged yeah. on the street. Well, when I work stage, you know, I wear my nicer costume, mm -hmm. you know, I polish my boots, look a bit more slick. Yeah. You know, with the street, no, I want to be that little piece of, it was actually a Canadian guy, Drew, I think his name was Drew. I watched him go from a silent clown to a talking clown, and I've always wanted to do that, which I'm now doing. 
but I've always wanted to do that. And he was a silent clown with a nose, and he'd do all this muck around, get his audience, and then do a routine with the cigar boxes. And his final routine on it, he kept dropping. And every time he dropped the box, he'd take a piece of clothing off until he was down to his underwear. And he drops. And, well, we're all expecting him to take his underwear off, but he takes his nose off and introduces himself. Ah, nice touch. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, and that was in my early days at Paddington. Okay. A Canadian performer was coming through. And, and, you know, and I said to him, I said, I've always wanted to do that. I saw what you did, it was beautiful. Because also, I studied mine. It was a, another one of the arts I studied. And he knew I was new, and um, his advice was, that they just want a little piece of you. Yeah. yeah, and I think it was the best advice I've ever been given. Ever they been given. Just, they just, just want a, a little, little piece. piece of you. Mm -hmm. We're on the stage; they get none of me. It's just the character I'm playing. Yeah. We're on the street, they get the character and a, just a, a touch of, of of Damien, where the rest of it's deadly serious. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, I've had many performers, you know, walk up to me and ask me to talk to me. They want to know how it's done, you know. And I'd always sit him down and just explain. It's very simple. It's the song about it. It ain't what you do, it's the way you do it. Yeah, 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 that's right. No, I agree with that. And there was... The, but then there seems to, like, in the early 90s, there seems to be like there was this wave of mm. street performers yeah, there was, that came to Australia and then came from Australia. Mm -hmm. I think Australia became flavour. Yeah. And not just for performers, it actually became flavour for the tourists as well. You know, And so there was... There was, I believe, a golden period, you know, which coincided with a, with a new wave of, of um, street th theatre or street, street entertainment in this country. I mean, and, I mean, we've always had a circus tradition. Yeah. You know, and Cir Circus Oz is probably one of the first, first contemporary circuses on the face of the earth. Well, in other words, they came out and did it without using animals, which was new in the 80s. Right, of course. It's all about what the human can do. And, and to be part of Circus Oz, I don't know if that's still one of the rules, but you had to play an instrument as well as have a routine, as well as having a circus routine. Back in the day. Because they were their own band. So the band member would jump up and do his circus piece and then jump back into the band while another one jumps up and does their circus piece. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't amazing. think that's the case anymore. Not anymore, but that's, that was the original origins of Circus Oz. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I, I know what you're saying, the, the, the flavor, the Australian flavor that in the 90s where people were coming down and there's street performers and we were opening new pitches and working randomly and we didn't need permits. Yeah, that was good, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and now we need everyone. I mean, I understand where that comes from and I understand uh, that you know, it's like living, just being alive is inherently dangerous, you know? What happened in the 90s is, is Australia became part of the globalization. Up until then, you know, you could ride in the back of a ute. You didn't need a helmet on a push bike. We didn't have all the political correctness that we have today. Yeah. It was quite wild and free. That's and, what I loved about it. And, you know, you couldn't sue. It was your responsibility if you fell over the... Yeah. Whatever, right? Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, you know, we're now New South Wales is second next to LA when it comes to litigation. Is Crazy, that right? Eh? Okay. Yeah. And so... So as much as um, we have all our new laws and rules and regulations, 
that when you were here in those in the nineties, it was a very much um, you took responsibility. It was enter at own risk. Yeah, and you took responsibility for yourself, which gave us the freedom to open new stuff and create new routines yep. and yeah, find new pitches. Yeah, push the line, you know. Yeah, to really push the barriers and the boundaries and find the boundaries and. I was talking to Magic Brian uh, the other day, and I was likening street performing to be kind of like we're like we're like pirates, you know, we're the last free men who you know are yes, we're artists and okay, we're buccaneers, then. We're buccaneers, sure, <laughs> sure. We're you know like Paid mercenaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, that's right. We were mercenaries looking for entertainment and and fortune and wealth. But also, we have that free spirit. Mm. Recently in Edinburgh, there was a seminar. I didn't go to it about, you know, street entertainment or street performance. You know, being a vehicle or a destination. And for me, it was a destination. It's not a vehicle. I left the theatre to do the street. I meet other people who are doing the street because they want to go into theatre. Therefore, it's a vehicle. It's not a destination. And please hurry up because you're in my way. Because this is why I chose to work the street instead of actually doing the fame game. Mm -hmm. Because uh, for me, you know, come back from Europe, you know, I've travelled enough of the world and I've travelled a lot more since. And um, I worked out I didn't want to be rich and famous, just rich. Fair enough, fair enough. Fame is crazy. You can have the fame. Being famous is crazy. I'd rather just have the money and I can go and do what I want without you knowing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and raise my family and go to university and do all that stuff, you know, that cost me money. Where did you go to uni? Uh, UTS in Sydney. In Sydney. Is, is university Technology. Do you feel like that was good, uh, good, good for you? It was really good for me. It was really good. And, um, well, that's, you know, now I can teach circus with the, with the piece of paper I have, too. Right, of course, even though you, you always had the skills. Yeah. Well, being that the field is adult education, it's not just language I can teach. Hence, I got a phone call from TAFE, which is like an adult ed, uh, voc ed department in Australia. And the lady says, heard you can play music. Can you teach music? Said, yeah, I can teach music because I'm you know, fifth grade piano. So um, next thing you know, I'm in the jails teaching music. In Sydney? In Sydney, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I hadn't even finished uni, so I must have been doing something right. But um, as soon as I finished uni and graduated, um, I felt like I was losing the street game. Right. Because I wasn't in the loop, I wasn't doing festivals. And it felt, I felt like I left me behind a bit. Yeah. You know, watching others do what they're doing, progressing. That's why you, I'm going to go back to that. My first love. Yeah. Do you feel like, as a, you know, this is not, this is a bit off topic, but do you feel like going to uni as an adult, or when I say adult, 40 year old man, is, you're not a kid, you're not, do uh, you feel like you absorbed it in a, a better way? Or do you feel like. Definitely. It, and, and having the skills I had helped me get through it. But I, I kept getting the phone calls of, can you come and work with these people? You know, can you, like prisons. Uh, the marginalised in general, so it's, we call youth at risk in Australia, so it's young adults that have totally failed school, fallen through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, so they bring me in and do work with them, and um, first thing I do is teach them to juggle. Oh yeah? Yeah, yeah, and then get full, that, that, that creates engagement, you know, and then we go to the classroom and do some proper school. Yeah, because uh, you're trying to 
connect with them at a level that uh, you know other people have failed. So why not just? Yeah, you gotta make it fun. You gotta make it fun. And I think that that's what that's what street performing is. Is ultimately it's connecting with with people. With people. And that is what the administrators will never understand. That's what councils will never understand. Is that you can't just pass bylaws and rules and expect people to follow them. So I'll give you a guess. What my next degree is going to be. Oh, you're going. You're still in school. No, I'm going to go back. You're going to go back. Well, well, my, my wife's turn now. Then it'll be my turn again. And, okay. You know, All right. See. I see. Hey, you got to share. Yeah. So next time will be law. You're going to go into law. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm sick of all the bylaws and crap. If we as street performers out there going out in the street without permits mm -hmm. are really doing anything wrong, the police will arrest us. Yeah, so, so to create these other laws that are based on nothing, really. It's really just a kick in the teeth or an insult for the artist. Well, I, it's interesting you say that because uh, in Vancouver there's uh, tons of pictures that are slowly being uh, sort of yep. not taken away, but they take away certain privileges like no amplification or... Mm -hmm. No and fire, that's, and that's what's happening here. They're, just, they're, they're eroding it. They're yeah. not, they can't. They know that they can't outright ban it. Yeah, that's it. So they slowly. They've, they've done this to Sydney too, which is why we got permitted in the first place. Because we were permit free for quite a long time, Australia. Oh, I remember. You know, and um, I won't mention any names. But it was a couple of Canadian guys telling us all about how good the permits are and la 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 and got involved with Sydney and got involved with Melbourne then he didn't yeah and he doesn't live here no more and you know and you know and got this whole permit game going when we're going no no no, no. don't open up a can of worms no. why do I need permission yeah yeah and so the next time I go to a council and I'm assessed I will be putting down my certificate for in training workplace training and assessment and asking for theirs right I have the qualification. Do you, three people behind the panel there, have the qualification to assess me? So what you're saying to me is that street performing is a freedom movement. Maybe I'm digging myself in the ground to stop them bulldozers again. I don't know. Well, I hate. We all go through the same thing. Like I, I, I that's the way I look at it. I'm not, maybe I'm trying to take something out of nothing, but or is it a right? To we work? have. We have. A, well, exactly. Human beings. All human beings have a right to work. We have the right to feed ourselves, feed, you know, take care of our family, our loved ones. In fact, I might be able to find it in my phone. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember what declaration from the UN it is. <laughs> but yes, there is a declaration of our right to work. Yeah, well, there you go. Which, which councils are um, breaking by adding all their... And that, is that so what is legally, that kind of, that's that, the first place I'm going to go with this. The UN's declaration, we've signed up to us Western countries for every person's right to work. That's right. You know? And then the next step is, well, do we sue for loss of income? I and, pay tax. And I just went to the bank today and put money in, it goes back to my wife and then it goes into our tax game. I pay tax. I'm a Apart from some troublemaking Canadian that came along and forced everyone to have permits, do you think this comes no, from something else? We just sweet talk them, you know, and, right, and, right. And, then, and then in the end, you know, the, the councils wanted permits, and then they didn't. Then they were like, "Oh no, what have we done?" You know, because it's like, well, now I hit them back with, "Well, what about your duty of care?" Should have left me permit free, because now it's your duty. If you're going to permit me, then then it's your duty of care, whoever's permitting me. If I get hurt, right. or if anyone gets hurt for that matter, so they really opened up a can of worms. Absolutely, and not just for us, but for themselves. 
it's interesting the the world that you know they they want to legislate everything they want to guard against every you know possibility that's the insurance companies too though like now you need insurance i i, yeah. I expect you have yeah, insurance public liability yeah. yeah 20 million uh australia is lucky they have uh duck for cover yeah a, yeah it's good a really really good company um, which was built by artists again I created don't... by artists for artists to keep the cost to solve down. a problem yeah, to, yeah. Problem, to keep costs down as well because if we did it individually it cost us a fortune I yeah for about 300 bucks a year which still is a bit out of the pocket just to go to work yeah I mean not every you, know, you need a and does, does everybody need insurance to go to, to to go to work now just about yeah just about it's artists do because well where does that come from why are artists seen as a liability I'm not quite sure. Is art a liability? Like, it could be because it helps people think. Oh, and we don't want that. It help, particularly helps them think outside the square. Mm-hmm. Mm. This, this may offend the way of the world and how we want you to be. Who knows? I mean, I'm just an old punk, you know, so... That's what it comes down to, is that we're a couple of old punks talking about the old days. Uh, but at the same time, we still have lots to contribute. And all of this life experience that you've had, really, now, now that I see that you're going into law as a, as a potential second degree, all this ex life experience that you've had is like perfect fertile ground for you to be in that, in that realm. As, as he just said that, I never even thought about it, but that's me fighting again, isn't it? me putting the boots on and going okay we'll dig ourselves in again it's going to be like this yeah yeah but I mean it was maybe get my law degree and we'll, we'll fight yeah when I came back from Europe the late 80s I could count the street performers in Australia on my hand yeah it was that few and um and those of us that had gone and done Europe or America or, or the rest of the world, basically, um, saw a thing or two, you know. It's, it, it's, it's, for me, where I went to London and it was just dog-eat-dog. Dog. Yeah? That's the best way I can describe it. So, back home in Australia, as Australian performers, we sort of reconciled that we don't want it that way. In fact, we want everyone to get a show right right which is i don't know if you, you probably don't even know this but you guys turned up to australia and us aussies had already made a pact of everyone gets a show but mm -hmm. no, we right? were welcomed you know, exactly is what we're getting at us there is, is is to leave it open you know and if everyone gets a show then everyone should be all right for i don't have to put you know like feed you you can feed yourself because you got your show that's right <laughs> you know? yeah 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 no we were welcomed uh, in a way that I wasn't welcome in my own town. Yeah, yeah. You know, Montreal, for example, where I lived after uh, my time in Australia, we weren't allowed to do shows. Mm. You know, uh, not only because we didn't have permits, but because the locals just chased us away. They yep. literally said, no, yep. fuck off, you're not allowed to be here. Yep. Yep. And I was like, you know what, Australia is, in a lot of ways, is, uh, be was better to me than my own country. And that's another reason, like, I mean, I don't know, I've been told my show's bulletproof on the street. I don't, I don't know if it is or not, but I purposely developed something big and chunky that would... Well, okay, now pulling tamps down. No. So I go over there and do it. And then, you know, 
then they come up to me after the show and go, yes, can you please queue up with us? Right. Because yeah, otherwise, I've got, I got to feed my kids. I'm sorry. Yeah, of course. Of no. course. You've got, you got, you got bills to pay just like everyone else and the rest of it. And you've you got to prove yourself you know, a little bit. You know, and I turn up and these you know, foreigners aren't very nice to me, so right. I go over there and do it. And then they look at me and it's like, well, do you want me to do again? And, uh, or do you want me to queue up with you? Yeah, better be friends. Well, I was friends. <laughs> oh, of course, but they—they you know I mean? didn't know that. They yeah, didn't know that yet. So, and, and surfing's a bit like that. And so, what about what about Europe being like? Can you work the the Eastern Bloc as as easy as you can work the Western Bloc? Um, I played Croatia, which was interesting and good. Um, um, it's actually uh, hit and miss, you know. You, you, you could, the police might stop you one day, and then the next day they're asking you to do it. So, so. Um, but then, you know, there was places in Europe that were like that 20 years ago. It was right. hit or miss, you know. One day you turn up, and the police are like, "Hey, yeah, do it," you know. And you turn up the next year, and they go, "Oh no, no, it's fine. No more here. Sorry." Right. We don't have that anymore. So okay. And uh, that's the way Eastern Bloc is at the moment. So yeah, I mean we're gypsies. We just gotta keep moving and finding new spots. It's a big world. That, that's true. That's it. You know, I've heard Poland could be quite good at the moment. Um, heard Slovenia. You know, I mean where twenty odd years ago it was it was Copenhagen and it was Sweden. You know? Right. It's a bit like the surf. You know, you turn up at the beach and there's you know the, you can see you know there's some, still a few waves left around and one of the locals looks at you and you go should have been here yesterday. <laughs> You're right, yeah. and it's the same. You know, pulling. I remember pulling into Copenhagen, and uh, and the locals there went, "You should have been here last year." Right. You know, like the, the season before was much better. So, I think, in, like you say, you got you, you you when you came to Australia in 1994, it was a gold mine. Oh yeah. You know, it was all it was happening. It was. It sure was. You know, where now it's sort of. Mm. Well, it's kind of tapped out too, and it's like everybody's seen it to a certain degree. To a certain degree, yes, but they haven't seen it enough for it to be culturally accepted the way it is in Europe. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there'll be number five unicycle show on the lights plane in Amsterdam. <laughs> I know. You know, after Jean Paul and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there'll be yeah. five unicycle acts almost in a row. But the people still watch. Yeah. And the people are still, they're not, it's like, okay, I've seen, we're an Australian, we'll go, oh, yeah, I've seen it. It's like because they saw someone else do it. Yeah. On the unicycle, where, where the European crowd will be, are more interested in the character, the more, in, you know, how are they going to get on, what are they going to do. Yeah. You know? um, did you ever work at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Sydney? Yeah. Yeah. That was a pitch I started. Okay. Because there was nothing. Oh, that's uh, that's like, and you've probably Byron Bay. You've been to, yeah, yeah. Yep. The marketplace, uh, the market, and the, the railway pub is another pitch I started. Oh, right. I used to turn up to Byron Bay market because Byron Bay is one of the areas. When I came home from Europe and wanted to do the street shows, I actually settled in Byron Bay, and I was scared of cities, so I so I went to Byron Bay. <laughs> it was well, it's like, a beautiful. Spot, so I, right? I weaned myself back into civilization, so to speak. Yeah. So it's Byron Bay, and there used to be where the pitch is now was the band. And remember Bredo? Brett? You remember Brett? Surely Brett. you do. Brett and Ashley? 
Oh yeah, I know. I remember actually, but yeah. uh, Brett, uh, go on. But anyway, so so we turn up to this market to the, and the band would be playing. You know, they have their break, and we go, oh, look, guys, can one of us do a show? You know, how long's your break? And they go, oh, you know, we have a twenty-minute break, and we go, oh, look, we've got a half an hour show. And they're like, oh yeah, sure, no worries. You know, so one of the bands having their break, one of us would do a show. You know. And after a few of these things going, a few markets of this, we, we turn up to where the band was normally one Sunday, and they're not there. And the lady in charge of the market come running, running up to Brett, Brett and I and says, I've moved the band way over there, and we're starting a new area, and we want you guys to perform your shows here. All oh, right. So that's why that pitch is there. Which is Space Cowboy learned from. <laughs> Aha. Mm -hmm. So you're responsible for Space Cowboy? I, I, no, I'm not responsible for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I have enough trouble being responsible for myself. <laughs> no, but I think that all of us have influence uh, in, uh, in ways that we never really know. Well, I had a Canadian came up to me, Liza playing many, many years ago. Eli. Oh, yeah. And he said to me, you don't know me, Damien, but you were the person that inspired me. He goes, I saw you on King's Cross. And I was just a tourist in Australia. And when I got home to Canada, after seeing you, I knew what I was going to do. Oh, wow. So that's, that's pretty amazing shit. Yeah, yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about street performing, is like, there's money, sometimes there's girls. It's very simple, actually. I used to play in a reggae band when I was 16, 17, no, 18 years old I was. I played in this reggae band and um, at the time I used to busk on the street as well. And we did a gig one night and you know, so by the time we got there, we had no roadies, you set it all up, you play the gig, you know, and you, know, you leave the pub at 1, 2, 3 in the morning, whatever it is, and then maybe go somewhere else. And I used to live in the Adelaide Hills and so did the drummer. So he you know, took me home, and by the time we, you know, had a little chit chat, and he he goes, the sun's coming up, and I thought to myself, I'll bugger this, and uh, I couldn't sleep, so I grabbed my guitar and hopped on a train and went back down to town. Oh, and that's right, the gig we got paid fifty dollars, yeah, Whoopie for there. a for uh, for you know for, for, for band for right. band. You know. Well, yeah. by the time there's you know six of us, fifty bucks each for the gig. And which was good money. This is the eighties, right? It was still good money. And uh, so I got back on, you know, came back to town, you know, with my guitar. Uh, used to be a fifty cent license back then, not two dollars seventy or whatever it is. Today. Right. And um, right. you know, played my guitar for a couple of hours and made fifty bucks and went home and went. I'm quitting the band because I spent less time out there on the street to make my fifty bucks than I did all night. Yeah. You know, and lugging equipment. Yeah. And, you know, so. Those those moments of realization. Yeah. So so this is you know like like I've said in, in with you, it's like I've sort of put the institution of theatre and music to the side, and went out and took it to the public. Cut out the middleman. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Would you encourage your son to become a street performer? I will encourage my son to become whatever he wants to be. Well, he's I mean, his own little person. Of course, but if he came to you and said, "Look, I want to become a street performer," of course I'll help him. It would, and what would you, what would you tell, you know, what would you tell your son? I really don't know because he's he sort of already, he already knows it. He already knows the game. He's been around it since birth. Right. You know, for for two, for three years, 
my wife's had to stop him from running out into the show. Okay. So once he hit three, it was like, well, okay, let him in. And that way it gave, gave you know, both my partner and I the ability to work at the same time. Yeah. So it gave me the ability to take my son to work. And whether he comes out in the show or doesn't come out or just hangs back with the other street performers, that's fine. Right. Where uh, up until then, one of us had to miss work to look after the, the child. Yeah. But a happy meal is usually enough for him to come and play. Because, <laughs> well, this is it, you know, we'll turn up to Darling Harbour or wherever it may be to do shows. It's like, oh, Dad, I want to go Maccas. I go, you know, I don't like Maccas. He's like, oh, we're out. I go, okay, well, I haven't got any money. And it's great, because he'll go, well, come on, Dad, let's do a show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He, knows. he already knows how to make money. He knows, yeah. If you're going to do a show, you're going to make money. He knows that <laughs> right. already. You know? If he wants McDonald's. And, and I've even gone out, and it's like I've looked at it and gone, and no one wants it, right? You know how you get those days where it's absolute crap and it's absolute dead? You know, and you've all lined up and you've all got your little ticket to go and play, but it's like everyone's just sitting there having coffee or beer or whatever they're doing, right? Yeah. No one even wants it. It's one of those days. No one wanted it. And just enough shade out to do a show. And my little boy's hassling me, hassling me, hassling me. I know there's no show out there. I know that. That's experience. But, but still, I, let him, I followed him out and he did his thing. And, you know, I even let the audience know the whole, you know, 12 people that stopped to watch. I let them know. He only wants a happy meal. <laughs> and he got more than a happy meal. So, you know what I mean? It's beautiful. And he did all his tricks and you know, spinning plate and does this balance stuff and twirls his hat and I don't know. Yeah, how many three-year-olds do you know that can make his own coin? Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. You're teaching him right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You you want to earn something? You want something? you got to earn it yourself. And I think actually I think that's a really good lesson. Well, my father said to me when I was 16 years old and walking out the door with my guitar and my saxophone on the way to go busking, my dad said, you will always make a living, son. And... I didn't click until I was 30, until he died. Actually, he died on my 29th birthday, which is where I went down. That's where I, I collapsed. That's sad. That's tough. That was really tough. Were you close to him? Yeah, very. I was, he was proud of me. He'd come down and watch the shows. So he was happy to see you working? Yeah, made him very happy. That's good. Well, particularly too, because, you know, I was a... I should have gone on to play for Norwoods like, like he did and my grandfather did and my little brother did. Right? So that was the, like a tradition right. in our family to become a professional footballer. Right. So my little brother professional footballer in this city. In EFL? Not AFL, SAFL. So, so he got paid to play football in Adelaide. All right. Which means now it doesn't matter what he does in your city, most people know him. Yeah. Okay. So he's got a lot of contacts and sponsorship and all that stuff. So I could have been a professional athlete and probably was supposed to be. But, um, you know, theatre grabbed me and I remember when I was training at the CPA, Centre of Performing Arts here in Adelaide, a really old lady, one of our tutors, says, you know, it's an interesting career you people have picked. And I was only, you know, 16, 17 years old at the time. And uh, she was explaining how, you know, not only as an actor do you get a break from yourself, because you do when you're performing, uh, but it's a career that you can do until your old age. Yeah. This was a 75, 80-year-old woman teaching me. And I looked and went, yeah, it is. It is. Where if I'd gone professional athlete, my little brother's five years younger and he's no longer a professional athlete. No, I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so, short-lived. Yeah. 
and the injuries that you know potentially you could get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, circus is bad enough. Sure, sure. And and I was a bit of the naughty kid, so the theatre theatre gave me another perspective, I guess. Mm-hmm. It gave me a place to channel that that um, anti-establishment yuck that I had, you know. Have the world. But the st- the street is interesting for that kind of because it's it's also the exercise in democracy. Yeah. You know, you go to the pitch. Yeah. You all stand around. We you don't punch each other. And diplomacy. The diplomacy and democracy. We all have to agree. Yep. You know, yeah, we all put the our numbers in the hat and we decide who's going to go when. Yeah. You know, and we work it out. We, we yeah. always work it out on our own because we all want to work. Mm-hmm. So we don't actually need councils. No, we don't. We absolutely don't need councils. In fact, before the permit system, I believe it worked better. I agree. Because because we do have some acts that I wouldn't allow to work if I had my way, but because they've got a permit, they can. Oh, yeah, well, that's the the auditioning. under, Under the old way, that we would have pushed that act out. I'm going, no, mate, you just, just go, go, keep, go and keep training. Yeah, you. Yeah, you. The, You're not the, ready yet, you know. Or, or go and work over there on that little pitch until you've got it, and then come and work on the big pitch. I mean, I look at this all the time, you know. I see people. I'm a surfer, and when I compare it to surfing, I see people who have, you know, just learning to surf, paddling out into Waimea Bay, and they're nuts. You know? Does that make you know? What I'm, because understand the analogy. They're, they're like, getting in on over their head. Pretty much over your head. You know, and it's like you're going to die out here anyway. You've just wasted three, four, five hundred dollars of somebody else's income because they could have had the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. And you've walked out and just killed it. But it takes because it, why? You, you, sometimes though, you now, have I to know, take. You I know. To... I know for myself. I didn't dare do that. You know, I waited till I had a good show that I know would stand up on a good pitch before I worked a big pitch. Right. And and you knew you knew uh, yeah. yeah you knew what you're doing. Yeah. So I worked over there. But you don't you think that it takes you a good couple of years to develop that skill? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. You earn your stripes. Yeah, you have to earn your stripes, and it's tough. You. Yeah. And but you that's ha- with anything, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's with anything. So, uh, do you have any advice for anyone who wants to be a street performer now? Give it a shot. If you can, if you want, if you can hack it. I, I do believe it's a certain cloth. You cut for a certain cloth. I wouldn't have said that in the early days, but you know, now after being on the street for 32 years, I do believe it's you've got to be cut from a certain cloth. Right. You know, just to stay. I mean, the average average age of most small businesses is, what, three or four years? Yeah. And the average age of a street show is about three or four years. And if you're still doing it after that time, you've obviously got something right. Hmm. So, you've heard of Ashton's Circus? Right? Uh, Ashton's is like one of our original circuses since since settlement. Yeah, that's come from Britain. And Lorraine Ashton said to me that we, the street performers, are crucial to her business. Right. And she, as far as she's concerned, to any entertainment business. Because the average Joe Blow who sees you or me or some other street performer doing their thing hadn't even thought about going to the circus. They hadn't even thought about going to the theatre. And some of them never will or would have. But I think, I believe, you know, the psychological thing I look out at there is, you know, I see that guy, I see that woman. I see that woman 
who used to be a ballerina when she was a kid. And I think that's what, that, that's that, how do I explain? you know, they're not anymore and they're just, you know, working on five and la 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 la, but it gives them that whole thing of, I could have been a professional ballerina. Look, this guy's doing what he does. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Sure, that, sure. Is that that punters? Or even I don't know if you'll get this. Go on. And I don't know if many people will. But it's not. This is my philosophy, and not just with street, with entertainment, but also with teaching. It's not the fly on the hook that is the lure for the fish. It's the fly in the fish's appetite that is the lure. So it's not the fly in the hook itself. It's the appetite. It's the appetite of the whether it's your students or whether it's your audience. Yeah. So that's what I'm getting at with that whole thing. You we're out there on the street and it's an everyday thing and it's not planned. You know, I ha- people haven't gone, oh, oh, I'm going to see the street. Well, actually, some people do go, yeah, I'm going to see the street performance today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some yeah, people yeah, do yeah, do yeah. that, but, you know, yeah. it's not like they've bought this ticket and, they, you know, it's a big thing, you know. But seeing that person on the street does encourage people to go and buy that ticket. Yeah, sure. La Soiree is full of ex-street performers, yep. Yep. you know, that are, have like refined, you know, that that bit that has made them famous. Mm-hmm. You know, they refined it on the street, mm-hmm. you know. They found those jokes. They found those bits that worked. Those found those, you know, they cut those bits that didn't work, you know. Well, this is the interesting one. When I play my show on the street, you know, I call it, it's not just my show, ladies and gentlemen, this is your show. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's turning, the same when I teach. For me, when I'm teaching students, it's about that student owning their own learning. Owning their learning. Owning their own learning. And if they own their own learning, they will want to learn more. So if your audience owns its own performance, its own show, they want to partake more. They want to be, you know... That's part of the appetite you're talking about. Yeah, and they walk out of that theatre going, wow, wasn't that great? And what about the way... Oh, and that guy, they made him do what they made him do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. A little bit of crowd... um, audience participation sure and every I mean I saw it just the other day every time you take a three year old to see a street show you know like an hour later they're doing backflips and yep. you know and trying to jiggle trying shit to stuff, yeah. <laughs> like you know, they just they don't even know where they got it they just yep. like they want to do that they want to emulate it yeah and also like you say we we're people live vicariously through the street performers like these they're standing on the street they're making noise they're not embarrassed they're not hum- they don't feel humiliated why do i feel so shy why am i on the sidelines when sydney bu- band busking in 1997 or 8 or something i was overseas when it happened i was in europe it made front page of the paper Oh, really? Yeah. It made media. It made media. Front page of the media, of, of Murdoch's media of all. And people were appalled. Is that right? People were appalled. It's not the council's to own. It's the, I'm public property, and I have been public property for 20-odd years out there now. Or, yeah. or, I'm taxing my audience. So, what I'm taxing about that? Their, I'm taxing their time to start with. They don't have to stop and watch or listen to me play. So I'm ta- you know, I learned this as a muso, you know, I'm taxing their time. They stop and listen, they don't have to. So ha- what happened in the end after the Sydney newspaper articles about banning busking oh, in Sydney? Oh, when we got the permit system. Okay, so uh, they, they tried to ban it outright. Mm-hmm. There was a public outcry. Public outcry. Also, 
two of our famous actors walked in with some street performers and our union rep, which is Mia, or Media Entertainment Alliance and Arts, something like that. And so they walked in and went, well, so what date? And when we go to court, because you can't stop us doing what we do. You know? and, and the fact was we had TV personalities saying, these guys are actors, I'm an actor. This is our union, Actors Equity. So what are we going to do about this? Because you yeah. cannot stop these guys from doing if you, their work. If you ban that here, well, then you're going to ban... No, basically they said, you can't ban it, and we will see you in court. Right. Until they back down. Because they're actors, and I paid my money to be part of this union. Yeah, okay. So they backed down. Yeah, they backed down and said, oh, what about we give you permits? We'll make, we'll make you legitimate. I actually like being illegitimate, thank you. <laughs> so what do you think the future of street performing is? I really don't know. I have no idea. And, and that's what, and this is something that, you know, it's, it's, I'm a 48-year-old 40, punk, and I finally clicked to the whole, well, no future. I've lived my life, no future. And that's probably why I've lived in the now for most of it. Right. When you say no future, you mean, are you talking about that well, ominous... I was a kid, future I was a world. 17, 8 year old kid waiting to blow up the world. I had no future, you know, yeah, from, yeah. from that generation of, you know, and not, not only now have the baby, you know, we, we know the baby boomers is the hippies pissed their parents off, but now they've pissed their children off and no one's happy. You know what I mean? It's like the, the, world, the world's finally waking up to the fact that they're being ripped off. So as a, as a future street performer, ex-punk attorney, you know, like, you're going to be intimately, you know, you're intimately sort of uh, aware of our human rights. That's the idea. I want to, you know, because they pull these little nifties on me. You know, I mean, I've had a ranger come up one time in Sydney Harbour, in the, in the uh, Darling Harbour, and um, had some complaint to me. I went, well, who was that that made the complaint? He goes, it's Mike me. I, went, I don't think you're in a position to make complaints about my show, mate. I don't critique what you do around here. You know? And a week later, he came out with another complaint, and it was—he got very upset because I asked the audience not to leave without paying, like my real dad did. And he got really upset about that. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't pay maintenance or alimony. I don't know. Oh yeah, right. You know, and it's like, well, mate, this is not your job. Go and get me the complainer, and we'll sort it out. I can see, I can see a future for that. You're, you're as a public defender. But this is it. I mean, I had another situation in Darling Harbour where a lady basically stopped and abused me and you know, slaps me. Uh, so it's not verbal abuse and physical abuse. And then goes and gets the ranger and the ranger starts abusing me. Now I finished the show and walked away and the ranger comes down on me. And I'm going, oh, I've done anything, mate. You know? And that's when four or five people stepped up to me who were from the audience and went, leave him alone. He has done nothing wrong. This woman abused him. Now you're abusing him. And this is where I want to know where their duty of care is, these council people. Yeah. Because then the council's now abusing me after I've been abused by a woman, and I'm expected to defend myself when I've done nothing wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it is often the abusive punter that calls the ranger down, that calls the bylaws officer down, who often is just a thug anyway who couldn't quite make the police force or the military. And so he comes down and heavies the poor little busker too, you know? Yeah. It happens all the time. And I want to be the attorney that steps in and has a go. Well, I think that you becoming a lawyer is, is a great idea. That's, this is it. You've convinced me. I've had enough. <laughs> I've had enough. You know? 
Well, there you go. Damien's going back to school, folks. <laughs> and I'm going back to Canada. <laughs> it's good to talk to you, Damien. Yeah, you too, man. There you go. There's Damien. Street performer. Lawyer. Deadly serious. Deadly, deadly serious. Stories from the Pitch is produced by the Busker Hall of Fame and is made possible through the efforts of a dedicated team who share a passion for the recording, editing, and presenting of these interviews. This episode is proudly sponsored by Buskin City, a platform for professional street performers to book their own tour in different parts of the world using a simple booking calendar. For more information, please visit buskincity.com. That's B-U-S-K-I-N-C-I-T-Y dot com. And huge thanks to Thorsten Anderson, Ulf Anderson, and the team at Buskin City for their support of this project. If you'd like to support what we're doing, please do consider swinging by the Busker Hall of Fame website and throwing a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Or become a sustaining supporter of this project at patreon.com slash buskerstories. Your contributions really do allow us to grow this resource and generate more content, so thanks in advance for supporting this project and helping us keep busking history alive. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Simply go to your favorite app, type in Stories from the Pitch, and download away. If you're accessing this content via iTunes, we'd love it if you could take a moment to leave us a review and give us a five-star rating. It'll take just a minute or two, and it means the world to our production team. Got a story to tell? Something you think we could improve? A performer you'd like us to interview? Or perhaps you're interested in becoming a sponsor of an upcoming episode? If so, drop me a line at cbg at buskerhalloffame.com. Haven't gotten enough Busker Hoff content yet? Well, then check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash buskerhalloffame. Follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube, or sign up for our newsletter. Links to all of these can be found on the Busker Hall of Fame website on the right-hand side of the page. And just before wrapping things up, we thought we'd share one more nugget of wisdom from Damien about the big advantage street performers have when working indoors. I'm theatre trained, right? And in the theatre, we talked about the invisible wall between you, the actor, and your audience, right? On the street, we destroy that wall. So we break it down. We break that wall apart, right? And this is where, as an actor on stage who has worked street, you have the advantage of knowing how to destroy or to disperse that invisible wall between you and your audience. Because you do that on the street every day you play on the street. Mm -hmm. So then when you take that to stage, I don't believe you can take street to stage, but you can take a lot of the techniques and methods that we've learnt and put it on stage and it makes a stronger performer on stage. Sure. And more enjoyment. For the audience. On behalf of myself, story editor Magic Brian, Eric Amber, who captured this interview, and the rest of the staff of the Busker Hall of Fame, we hope this finds you well. And as you perform for audiences around the world, please remember to use your superpowers for good. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy. Thanks for listening. small fragile planet ladies and gentlemen and it needs our help so the children today have a future tomorrow and this is my contribution hey. please come and make your yeah. contribution <laughs> that's a good line it's sweet eh, isn't it? yeah it is that's sweet. my final spill that's it